My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries Podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business. I can speak from experience when I say that the right person in place can not only make your day-to-day easier, but it can make your business thrive. About five years ago, I hired a photo editor that saved me hours and hours of editing despite the fact that I could have simply done it myself. But instead of spending late nights at the office, I knew I had someone who could do it faster, better, and much cheaper than myself. That's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find them? You can post a job on a job board and hope the right person will find your job, but think about it. How often do you hang out on job boards? Don't leave finding someone great to chance when you can post your job to a place where people go every day to make connections, grow their career, and discover job opportunities. LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members have recently visited the top job boards, but nine out of 10 members are open to new opportunities. And with 70% of the US workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. People who are qualified for your role and ready for something new. It's the best way to find a person who will help you grow your business and why a new hire is made every 10 seconds on LinkedIn. Hurry to linkedin.com slash scaries and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash scaries to get $50 off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash scaries. And yes, terms and conditions do apply. For all this info, look no further than the description of this episode. This week, we're going to talk about craft beer, how to improve your Uber rating, and mental health days. I have a beard. I regularly wear prescription glasses from Warby Parker. I have to clarify that they're prescription because some people think I just do it for aesthetics, but alas, they are prescription. I even wear ratty vans to bars because I don't want to have to take care of them if someone spills a drink all over them. On the surface, yes, I do look like a guy who'd be into craft beer. And you're not really wrong, I guess. There were days when we'd tire of drinking Labatt Blue and try to class things up a bit. Maybe a blue moon here or a Bell's Oberon there. And in those days, from my late teens to my early 20s, we really thought we were having a high class night when those tops started to pop. But as the years went on and the quality started to weigh in a little bit more than quantity, those nights started to outweigh the ones when you knew you'd wake up and see an empty case of Labatt Blue light by the front door. And with craft beer culture and breweries popping up everywhere you look, it's almost actually impossible to avoid it. Sours, double IPAs, porters, lagers, ambers. I don't even know what they all mean, but I do know that I'm not opposed to adding any of them to my flight should I be undecided with what I actually want. Craft beer, despite being the innocent offshoot of something we all love, somehow got a bad reputation along the way. It's considered to be reserved for hipsters only, and macro brew enthusiasts need not apply. And for some reason, that's always just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. While I'm wholeheartedly against being different just for the sake of being different, I don't think that's the case when it comes to craft beer. Much like scotch enthusiasts will tell you, every bottle, hell, every sip may taste a little different and unique. And honestly, that's what makes it special. My expertise in the area, it's pretty minimal. Very minimal, in fact, unless you count the times when I've sat at a brewery and tried half of their menu. It's actually somewhat difficult to explain why I loved craft beer in the first place. I don't love the headache that I wake up with if I only have a couple. Sometimes they upset my stomach. And more than once, I've left a brewery saying to myself, man, I really didn't like any of those beers. But maybe that's it. Maybe that's why. 
because there's such an array and selection in front of me that I'm always on the quest to find the next beer that makes me think to myself, you know what? That may be my new favorite beer. When I was 19, I worked for a restaurant and the bartender told me a story about an engagement party that got out of hand. They had a keg of beer that was 7%, he told me, and people were drinking it like it was Miller Lite, he kept explaining. At the time, I had no idea why that was an issue. In my young, naive brain, beer was simply beer. But the more I started to get into it, this bootleg little hobby of mine, I started to realize that beer is not, in fact, just beer. Each individually crafted by the people who love the product they're pouring on a nightly or seasonal basis. Rather than picking up a microwavable pizza from the store, you're indulging in the fruits of someone's labor, as if you're eating at an Italian pizzeria with a Neapolitan right in front of you. I know craft beer isn't for everyone, and that's okay. For every beer that's led me to say, you know what, I'll have another. There's a small batch pour that I never want to see on a menu ever again. Just be careful in indulging too much on a weeknight. There's truly no worse feeling in the world than the lingering stomach ache of having one too many IPAs at the pizza joint down the street. My Uber rating currently sits at a modest 4.9 flat. It's upstanding, but it also shows that I like to have a good time. Over the years, I've found myself using Uber less and less, not because of the service it provides, but simply because I don't hit the town as hard as I used to. Through those years, I've become somewhat of a hypersensitive person to my behavior in them. Am I being rude because I'm sitting on my phone the entire time? Should I tell them there's an easier route? How annoyed will they be if I take this phone call? When it comes to your Uber rating, everything, and I mean everything, adds up, which is why I'm here to share five easy tips to maintain your already stellar rating. The first is to give them some insider information. For me, it all began at my old place. There's this bump in the road, so I'd often start my trips with, you know, the best way to get out of this subdivision is by turning around in the driveway rather than going the street over. While it took a little longer, it showed care for both the driver and their car. Even if you're lying and it's not that hard to get out of your neighborhood, Who is your Uber driver to not respect your kind tip with the intention of making his life at least a little bit easier? If he knows the area like the back of his hand, he's going to think you're an idiot. But he'd have to be a real geography stickler to knock a star after rating when it's all said and done. The second is simply asking a question. It's, hey, so can you see my Uber rating before picking me up? If so, what is it? Even though the app now tells you your rating, this question is much more than just getting the answer. This is like your girlfriend asking if her dress makes her look fat. If your rating is bad, he's going to feel awful telling you that and will probably bump you up a bit once it's all said and done. And if your rating is through the roof, then all of a sudden you're talking to your Uber driver about how awesome you are and he'll give you five stars simply through osmosis. Unless they're a real jerk, they're not going to want to ruin your perfect game. While simple, the third tip is essential. I learned this years ago from a friend and I maintain that it's helped me keep my rating where it is. Upon leaving the vehicle, loudly say to your friends, Now that was a five-star ride. Not only does it tell them that you enjoyed your ride experience, but it demands that they reciprocate the five-star rating in return. Everyone says that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, and the way to an Uber driver's heart is through their five-star rating. Act accordingly. Number four, and this one may be somewhat controversial. The very first question I ask before sitting down in any Uber is simply, do you have a preference where I sit while gesturing toward the front or back seat? I know, I know. Riding in the front seat of Ubers is reserved for psychos, but hear me out. You wouldn't go to someone's house for a dinner party and eat your meal on their brand new couch, would you? 
So why sit in the back seat of their car when it's entirely possible that they want you to sit in the front seat? Does it expedite the rapport between driver and passenger? Of course. Does it show them that you don't actually think of them as a chauffeur, but maybe a friend? Absolutely. And if it's been a late night and you're fading a bit, trust me, it's a lot easier to stay awake or avoid getting nauseous if you're riding shotgun. Finally, and most importantly, you simply have to read the room. I know that everyone dreads when their driver lands the tag, great conversation, but this is a service industry. Your drivers are there to please. Uber drivers stay on the road for hours on end, picking up passengers and taking them to places they'd never go on their own. Think about going on a road trip of your own. Don't you get bored? Don't you just want someone to talk to at some point? Even if you're having a bad day or just want to get to point B, there's value in the human interactions that you have with your driver before you say your final goodbyes. It feels much better to connect with someone, albeit for like 12 minutes, than it does to ignore them and completely dismiss their conversation starters. Exchanging in some fun and easy banter goes a long way, not just for your rating, but for making someone's day feel just a little bit brighter. And that especially goes for those of you who refuse to sit in the front seat. In elementary school, it was simply called plain hooky. Sitting at my desk one day, I remember mentally taking myself through a level of a video game that I had recently started. At a standstill and unable to get past a certain level, I couldn't really get it out of my head. I just played it over and over and over. Rather than wait the four more hours until I could go home and finally try to beat it again, I decided that the time was now. I told my teacher that I had stomach ache, something that wasn't uncommon for me at that age, and I went home sick, which obviously wasn't the case. After firing up my Nintendo and settling in for the afternoon, it hit me. I really had no idea what I was doing, and I left school all for nothing. And these days, playing hooky is a little different. Historically, I haven't taken a lot of work off at spur of the moment. I've carefully calculated my vacation days months in advance, and have avoided using sick days for fear of pissing off coworkers. But in recent history, much has been made about taking a day off when you aren't on vacation, or really physically sick at all. The Mental Health Day. Carol Bernstein, a professor at NYU, said about mental health days that people use them when they're feeling like it's not a sick day in the official sense, they're not home with a fever or the flu, but they feel that their emotional state of mind requires them to take a day off from work. Yes, this is very much still a first world problem that most people don't get the luxury of confronting, but they can be somewhat necessary despite a large number of employers refusing to acknowledge them as being valuable. Today, most employers won't define a mental health day as a sick day more rare and it's not taken seriously, and more traditional employers will write it off as being intensely millennial. But that doesn't mean you should write them off just because they do. Perhaps you're burned out at work, maybe your personal life has gotten the best of you lately, you could even feel up against it because work has replaced your free time and those out-of-office tasks are piling up, putting unneeded stress on you. But whatever the case may be, it should go without saying that your mental health is just as important to take care of as your physical health. Not only will this help you, but the people around you in the office as well. Have you been irritable lately? Do you have a short fuse? Does the thought of just one more email hitting your work inbox make you want to throw your phone off a bridge? Well, your coworkers can sense that just as much as you can feel it burning inside of you. Admittedly, I've taken mental health days in the past, but against my better judgment, I didn't classify them as such. Rather than explaining my exact reasoning for doing so, I claimed food poisoning or whatever other one-day ailments are out there. And unfortunately, doing so only added to the stigma that these shouldn't exist in the first place, which they really should. Fortunately for you and your mental health, you don't actually have to disclose why you're taking a day off. 
If you're afraid of your employer not honoring it, you can simply tell them that you're not feeling well and you'll be in the day after. And if you do think your employer will understand, then being upfront and honest is likely your best move. Deep down, hitting the reset button on your mental health is the same as lying in bed drinking Pedialyte when you've got the flu. Both are debilitating, both make it impossible to actually work, and both are downright miserable. When should you actually exercise your mental health days, you might be wondering? Well, that's all up to you. But just make sure that you're using one for the right reasons not to extend the weekend or to nurse a two-day hangover. Ensure you do what your mind knows what you need to get done. Run the errands that have piled up, meditate, go for a run, take a nap at the park, or simply clean your apartment and lounge around in it all day. Whatever needs to be done in order to set yourself up for success when you enter the office the next day. As for me, I never actually beat that level of Zelda I talked about a couple minutes ago and it's going to forever haunt me. But if that's the worst of my problems, I'd say I'm doing alright. Everybody has the right to rest. The key to getting the best rest is the right mattress. Meet Lisa with two awesome mattresses, accessories, and bases for a deeper, better sleep. The all-foam Lisa mattress is new and improved, featuring a cooling LSA 200 foam for enhanced pressure relief for side sleepers. Their Sapira hybrid mattresses are the perfect combination of foam and spring for pressure relief and edge-to-edge support. Lisa's mission is to provide better night's sleep for everybody. From day one, Lisa set out to create a company with heart. That's why they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell through organizations that work in causes like foster care prevention. To date, they've donated more than 32,000 mattresses through more than 1,000 nonprofits. To get 15% off your Lisa today, head over to lisa.com scaries. Again, that's lisa.com scaries for 15% off of your mattress. And that's all in the description of this very episode. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, review, or tell a friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. You can also follow along on Twitter, which is at SundayScaries, and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries. Or you can follow me both on Twitter and Instagram at WillToFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday.